Welcome to the Literary License Podcast, Kings of Horror episodes, where we dive down in to famous horror writers and their movie counterparts, with your co-hosts, Vicky Ray, Leandro Gazi, and Keith Shago, reading horror and watching films, and discussing in full bloody Hello, welcome to the Journal License Podcast and our Book to Screen Week when we discuss Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice and the film directed by Neil Jordan. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Craig Johnson with us. Hello, Craig. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me from East Finchley Village <laughs> in North London, UK. <laughs> yeah. Are you we got trying David to get Trump with us? Hello, David. Hello there. Yes, I'm also from East Finchley Village. <laughs> now that we know where to drop our tactical yeah, news there's only two houses in- <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Leandro Gazi with us hello Leandro hi how are you I'm fine hey, nice guy we're seeing there yeah, and it's Ray. Hello, <laughs> there he is there he is sorry say that again uh, it's, a, it's a nice blue sky that you got there and hello vicky how are you yes i'm good <laughs> I'm on, on the street now. and before we get started let's find out what everyone's been up to starting with you leandro what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you um well working not training <laughs> um <laughs> then um i've been um driving i almost uh uh, hit a lorry, two different lorries hit me, but I was not driving lesson. But I think I am in it. <laughs> Soon I will. Uh, so you've been driving and almost getting flattened into an Argentinian pancake. Is that what you're saying? Kind of. <laughs> and what about yourself, Craig? What have you been up to? Um, I've just been using the gym and I was on holiday from work and I've been watching the repeats of the classic Doctor Who series on ah. Forces TV and um, I've been trying to get this pavement sorted out. I'm having some pavement trouble from Barnet Council because there's a bus stop that I walk past every day and the, the pavement, it, it wobbles and it could an old person could trip over it. So I've reported it many times and they keep coming back at me and saying that um, there's nothing wrong with the street. So then they, they asked me for a lamppost reference number. And I, li- I literally, I was standing there. It was snowing this afternoon. So I've been standing there taking pictures in the snow to show how broken this um, pavement is to them. I thought you know, I'm doing dog. the council's job for them now, you know. I got an idea. Why don't you push Dave and take a picture of it? Yeah, yeah. I was pretending to be the dog. You know, stand against yeah. with me, cock, leg cocked up against the lamp. <laughs> Sue, sue him. You warned him. I warned him, you know. That's right. I mean, the only good thing about Barnet Council is that our council tax hasn't gone up. That's the only yeah, good thing. That it never goes yeah. up, which is always good. And we get trash <laughs> picked up more than anyone else does. So. But if you need anything done, it's like a nightmare. Yeah. You can't get through it. The same day. over here. Same yeah. thing. And I, I went to... um. Uh, uh, a theatre. I went to the Soho Theatre in mm. Dean Street, and they're showing the David Hoyle, um, the Ten Commandments of his rat-infested life. Basically, it's a drag show. <laughs> no and kidding! It's absolutely hilarious. Brilliant! It, it was, was so, so funny, honestly. And it's on. Um, I think until next week. I think mm. it's the last running. But yeah, get your tickets because it was it was really funny. It was brilliant. Mm. 
<laughs> what, are you, what are you yourself, David? What have you been up to? Yeah, also, uh, well, apart from pretending to be a dog, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was with Craig down to see David Hoyle also. Really cool. It was the Soho Theatre, such a lovely little venue, you know, it's only like 150 seats, yeah. isn't it? But uh, intimate. Was and he was, yeah, he was so good. Um, I've got now five songs ready for this little demo I'm going to do on GarageBand. And uh, just been maybe going to try and um, get a few people to sort of like, like do little monologues because I haven't got a very nice speaking voice. So I want to get somebody with more. Craig's got a, a lovely speaking voice and his sister. So I'm going to maybe, I might even ask Keith and you, Vicky, <laughs> to do What's a little that? monologue. I might just to do a little monologue, you know, uh-huh. maybe three lines because I, I find my, I can sing okay, but when, when I'm talking, it's not, it's, it's not the kind of voice I want. I want a more, I don't know, a more prettier voice. I think so. Well, anyway, well like an American voice. Texas down here, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. and it won't be Shakespeare, you know, like, is this a dagger I see before me? Or something like that. You know? <laughs> Pilgrim? <laughs> yeah. But, um, anyway, yeah, but you, want, you want my real accent or you want my um, podcast? I, would, I like your <laughs> I, I like your accent. Yours and Vicky's, yes. <laughs> you better write a script or it probably gets really indecent after a while. <laughs> well, the thing is, when you've got to have subtitles like I have to, when I speak to people, you know, bloody hell. I mean, I've been in London 30 years and people say, have you not lost your accent? I'm thinking, well, where would I lose it on the tube? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, leave well, it on the tube. <laughs> it's in left luggage somewhere, you know. Well, Liam Payne's lost his um, accent, hasn't he? Because he, he? he did like a, an almost a Welsh sounding <laughs> accent when he got interviewed um, on, on the radio this week. Oh, bloody hell. So, yeah, and he's from Wolverhampton. Okay. <laughs> I, get, I get it from patients all the time. They sit there and they go, um, Oh, like how long you? How, long, how many years you've been in the UK? And I go, it's about thirty-two years now. Yeah. Go, you haven't lost your accent. I go, it's because I'm, I'm American. We're too lazy to actually figure out. <laughs> we, we, we can we can't be bothered to learn another language, or surely yeah. not going to be able to find another freaking accent. <laughs> yeah, so like, I remember my dad once said uh, about an Australian accent. He says it's almost like slowing down a record. So it's like we'll start off with like uh, you know, good day, mate. <laughs> so everything goes on the ascent, you know, and it's the same with Geordie. We tend to sort of swing around. It's a bit do, like a, you, a song. Do you think bird, birds have different accents? Do you think they do? When they're chirping and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they, they must do. Have yeah. Like north and south divide birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mean like a Geordie crow? Yeah. Yeah, man, cockadoodle do, man. Yeah, something like that, you know. All right, in it. In it, man, yeah, cockadoodle do, in it. All right, in it. Cock the doodle doubt, mate. Yeah, no problem, mate. Actually, I was doing a quick, a quick condensed version of EastEnders. Would probably be something like, um, you know, good eye, mate. Uh, all pregnant, shut it. Cock a doodle doo, mate. Or something like that, you know. But you got to work that Cockney accent in. Yeah, you got. I've got to work on it. I've got to work on it. <laughs> and what about yourself, Bix? What have you been up to? I only planting some garden stuff. Finally, the frost has gone away. So. I've been doing that. Um, Asher's got his little things going on the weekends now, his athletic stuff. And I started watching old movies. What was it? I was telling you about Magnetic Monster, 1953. I don't know why I watch this stuff, but it's old. <laughs> it is cheesy as hell, but it's fun to watch. I just think so. And I finished the final season of The Kingdom 
on uh, Netflix. Totally love that. Kind of was not happy with the ending because history was not very kind to all the people involved in actual life. So there wasn't any closure for me there. Um, and I watched this one from Ireland. It's called The Hollow. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. Where the boogeymen's or whatever they are out in the woods and and they're trying to get after this family. She took the bars down. I guess it has to be copper to keep them out or something. And yeah, I'm surprised I they had any copper left because normally they sell all the copper in Ireland for alcohol. They steal it here. <laughs> I mean, you can't keep copper tubing or pipes anywhere. People will steal that shit quick as anything. And before I got on here, I was watching this movie, The Countdown. And right. it's an app that you get on your phone that tells you when you're going to die. Oh, yeah, I've saw that. Yeah, yeah I finally that. got to see. I've tried so hard not to watch 2022. Or, I mean, I'm trying to force myself to, to watch COVID movies. I just think that they all suck for the most part. And I mm-hmm. might miss a good one that actually was okay. So I'm trying to do that now. But a lot of the silver screen stuff lately, like, you know, the Frankenstein stuff. And yeah. I just love the old Bella Ghost movies and things oh, like that. Class. He's class. He is class, you know? Yeah, but not a whole lot. What about you, Keith? Um, well, now that I got my new Sky account and I got my new Sky television. He's still person. bragging on that TV. <laughs> it's, <huge. laughs> it's great, though. I've been watching every episode. Because the Sky package, because what happened was is, as we know here in the UK, I don't know about the rest of the world, but Expensive. you know, first of April is now here. Before the first of April, we had to go through all our bills and try to make savings. We are too. Everything's doubling and everything like that, and it starts yeah. today actually. So, you know, luckily my gas and electric, I signed a contract with that. That's that's frozen my costs and everything like that for a year and a half. Um, when I did that about three months ago, yeah. and then um. So looking at my broadband and everything like that. So I found out that I can get Sky Glass, which includes a 56-inch television with all the movies and pack in the television package and the broadband all for 60 quid a month. Where at the moment I was paying 80, uh, 79 pounds for Virgin just for my internet. So I wish people do that over here. They haven't caught on to, you know, small. Well, you're, I'm going to be safe for 18 months. And after 18 months, then they start... Because over here, there's no such thing as loyalty anymore. So when <laughs> your contract's up, you got to start hunting around for the next contract. There's nothing like that here. I think but everybody they, does that. So I've been rewatching things like The Sopranos. I'm re-watching I that. love The Sopranos. One of my favorite shows. And my favorite is Westworld because I know that the new. I still um, haven't started the new, the new season. Starts in a couple months, so I'm getting. I'm rewatching that again. Are we so doing that? Mm-hmm. Westworld um, season four. Right, season four in the summer. Okay, I gotta, I gotta catch up to that. I have not started the new season at all. I need to though. Yeah, so I'm getting ready for the new season. That the thing is, you really have to rewatch Westworld because if you You kind of sorry because I, I'm gonna be lost because I don't remember even the third season because COVID hit and then everything went kind of nuts and I did not absorb the input. I guess so. Mm. It's brilliant. I have to say it's one of the best shows. It's it's awesome. It really is. Yeah. And then I've been watching um, stuff on Disney Plus and this and that. And um, and I also watched a good film that was on Channel 4, which is on the 4 app at the moment, called uh, We Own the Darkness. Excellent. It was really good. I was surprised. Watched that today when I was working. So Because now that I'm working, now that I've been, you know, COVID, I've been working at home for the last two weeks. So basically, you know, I got the TV on in the background watching stuff while I'm dealing with patients and answering my emails. So... Yeah, that's pretty much. Sounds it like me. you like working from home. 
Yeah, I prefer I, I avoid people. I mean, it's, I always get a seat on the tube anyway because I just get my NHS badge out when when it gets crowded and cough. And people think I got COVID. They kind of leave me, kind of leave me alone. <laughs> Nobody cares over here anymore. <laughs> We're so over it. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Even though Dr. Fauci has reared his ugly head again. It's like, no way. So what we're going to do now is we're going to cut to an ad by Fire Breathing. It's a new podcast out there that's available for you. It's available on Audrey and um, on various podcast um, platforms. Fire Breathing is one of the new podcasts, and we want to welcome them aboard for advertising with us. So take it away, Fire Breathing. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three hour long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play DD quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. Hello, welcome back to Literary Legends Podcast. We're discussing Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice, which is a gothic horror and vampire novel published in 1976. It was her debut novel based on a short story Rice wrote around 1968. The novel centers on vampire Louis de Pont de Luc, who tells the story of his life to a reporter. Rice composed the novel shortly after the death of her young daughter, Michelle, who served as inspiration for the child vampire character, Claudia. Though initially the subject of mixed critical reception, the book was followed by mainly widely popular sequels, quickly known as The Vampire Chronicles. A film adaption was released in 1994, starring Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, and the novel has been adapted as a comic three times. There's also a new network network Netflix series um, based on The Vampire Chronicles that will be out this fall. So what we're going to do is cut the synopsis. We'll be right back to discuss Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice, The Synopsis A vampire named Louis de Pont de Luc tells his 200-year-long life story to a reporter referred to simply as The Boy. In 1791, Louis is a young indigo plantation owner living in Louisiana. Distraught by the death of his brother, he seeks death in any way possible. Louis is approached by a vampire named Lestat de Lencourt, who desires Louis' company. Lestat turns Louis into a vampire and the two become immortal companions. Lestat spends time feeding off slaves while Louis, who finds it morally repugnant to murder humans to survive, feeds from animals. Louis and Lestat are forced to leave and Louis' slaves begin to fear the vampires and instigate an uprising. Louis sets his own plantation aflame. He and Lestat kill the slaves to keep word from spreading about vampires living in Louisiana. Gradually, Louis bends under Lestat's influence and begins feeding from humans. He slowly comes to terms with his vampire nature, but also becomes increasingly repulsed by what he perceives in Lestat's total lack of compassion for the humans he preys upon. Escaping New Orleans, Louis feeds off a plague-ridden five-year-old girl, whom he finds next to the corpse of her mother. Louis begins to think of leaving Lestat and going his own way. 
Fearing this, Lestat turns the girl into a vampire daughter for them to give Louis a reason to stay. She is then given the name Claudia. Louis is initially horrified that Lestat has turned the child into a vampire, but soon begins to care for Claudia. Claudia takes to killing easily, but she begins to realize over time she can never grow old. Her mind matures into that of an intelligent sort of woman, but her body remains that of a young girl. Claudia blames Lestat for her state, and after 60 years of living with him, hatches a plot to kill Lestat by poisoning him and cutting his throat. Claudia and Louis then dump his body into a nearby swamp. As Louis and Claudia prepare to flee to Europe, Lestat appears, having recovered from Claudia's attack, and attacks them in turn. Louis sets fire to their home and barely escapes with Claudia, leaving a furious Lestat to be consumed by the flames. Arriving in Europe, Louis and Claudia seek out more of their kind. They travel throughout Eastern Europe first, and do indeed encounter vampires, but these vampires appear to be nothing more than mindless animated corpses. It is only when they reach Paris that they encounter vampires like themselves, meeting the 400-year-old vampire Armand and his coven at the Theatre des Vampires. Inhabiting an ancient theater, Armand and his vampire coven disguise themselves as humans and feed on terrified humans in mock plays before a live audience, who think the killings are merely a real, a very realistic performance. Claudia is repulsed by these vampires and what she considers to be their cheap theatrics, but Louis and Armand are drawn to each other. Convinced that Louis will leave her for Armand, Claudia convinces Louis to turn a Parisian dollmaker, Madeleine, into a vampire to serve as a replacement companion for her. Louis, Madeleine, and Claudia live together for a brief time, but all three are abducted one night by Armand's coven. Lestat arrives, having survived the fire in New Orleans. His accusations against Louis and Claudia result in Louis being locked in a coffin to starve, while Claudia and Madeleine are locked in an open courtyard. Armand arrives and releases Louis from his coffin, but Madeleine and Claudia are burned to death by the rising sun, a devastated Louis finds their ashes remains. Louis returns to the theater late the following night, burning it to the ground and killing all the vampires inside, leaving with Armand. Together, the two travel across Europe for several years, but Louis never fully recovers from Claudia's death, and the emotional connection between himself and Armand quickly dissolves. Tired of the old world, Louis returns to New Orleans in the earliest 20th century. Living as a loner, he feeds off any human who crosses paths, but lives in the shadows, never creating another companion for himself. Telling the boy of one last encounter with a stat in New Orleans in the 1920s, Louis ends his tale after 200 years. He is weary of immortality and of all the pain and suffering for which he has had to bear witness. The boy, however, seeing only the great powers granted to a vampire, begs to be made into a vampire himself. Angry that his interviewer learned nothing from his story, Louis refuses, attacking the boy and vanishing without a trace. The boy then leaves to track down Lestat in the hopes that he can give him immortality. And that is Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice, The Synopsis.
Hello, welcome back to interview. <laughs> oh, fuck me. You scared me. Hello, welcome back to the Three Lessons <laughs> Podcast. We're discussing interview with a vampire, the novel. Starting with you, Trent, what are your thoughts of interview with a vampire? Um, it was a nice book. It was it was quite. I liked the romantic, the romantic, uh, the romanticism style of the of the writing. Um, it was. Uh, really detailed and um i loved the lestat character um but i would say i think I, if i compare it with the film i think the film um was more matter of fact like you could it was very here's this character next uh, you know it was it was quite um matter of fact but um yeah, I like the um, the this the uh, the flow, and um, it was fluid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The the book is like I mean, like anything, you know. The, they've got to try and condense everything into the the movie. Try and get the best parts. Try and give people the it, great thing with the movie. Up. Yeah, mm. I think uh, it allows a lot to your imagination, and you can t- kind of develop it after you've seen the movie. Same with a book, like, you know, you've got, it really engages with your imagination and you can, you know, you kind of dress the characters and I think she's great, right, Anne, Anne Rice? She's got a lovely yeah. flow to her, you know. Because I she, like Dracula as well. Set, yeah. The, set in the thing is, it's just nice Bay to see. It reminded me that the set, the style of the, of the theme and the writing, mm-hmm. they really set the scene really well. Um, she puts more like a mythology into it, you know, yeah, like developing each of the characters, like you know, um, whereas like you know the the first introduction was like more just like about the vampire, about but, and the seduction of being the uh, being the vampire who is going to have the power to take someone's life or to and then to impale them and yeah, um, bite into their neck as a, as a victim. And I like I like the power play mm-hmm. um, and the 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 way the blood was described as well was really quite effective. Um, yeah. What did you, um, what about your thoughts off, Leandro? What are your thoughts of Interview with Empire? Hello. <laughs> Leandro. I think he's in a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's been bitten. <laughs> what are your thoughts of Interview with Empire? <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah. Uh, um, I I kind of didn't know a few things about Anne Rice when she wrote this book. Um, I had no idea that her child had died um, and that she wrote it as a way to cope, you know, and it was supposed to she wrote it in like five weeks. And it was originally a, a short story, which I found interesting. But then um, I guess she was encouraged to expand the novel and she made it that full length novel. What I liked about what I thought about it is that that the whole book just reminded me of just seeking and trying to find answers. And it doesn't matter if it was uh, it, the God or devil, because Louis wanted to know, is there a God? Is there a devil? Who do we come from? But it was a lot of Catholic guilt. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys are Catholic, but it was Catholic guilt through the whole book. Or at least that's what I thought it was. But I, I thought it was rather fascinating how she came about, how she did this. And, you know, she really, um, she, I think she wanted, I, not so much maybe in the movie, but I think in the book, she really wanted uh, uh, Louis to be uh, like a trans 
sexual transvestite kind of thing, which would have explained everybody's attraction to him. Cause I mean, well, you know, Brad Pitt will discuss, discuss that, but he was pretty to look at almost too pretty. He's always been too pretty to be a guy. I thought, but, <laughs> but you know, she's, I don't even think, I don't know if it was along the lines of sexuality. I don't think it was a homosexual thing so much, but I think that, that she presented, you know, how they were just attracted to him because he was so ridden with guilt. Barnabas Collins doesn't have nothing on this guy, you know, and it comes right down to it. I mean, he, he just hates killing. He's not happy. And, and he's always thinking about his Catholic upbringing. Mm. I have to then say that um, reading the book, I'm not a, I'm not a lover of first person narrative, but I kind of like it, but I, because there's so much detail and you know, stuff going on and I kept interesting, but you do spend, you know, well, I know how long it take to read the book. Probably a good four 15, hours, 18 hours, maybe to read the book. So that 15, 18, 15, 18 hours, depending on how fast you read, you're actually spending with a manic depressive. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's just uh-huh. manic depressed all the way through. I mean, he's not a happy person. It was about 14 hours. Ago. It's a really sad yeah. movie. So that's how she remembers the movie as being really sad. But I think that's what she, the point that she was trying to get across because she was yes. so sad about her daughter passing. She just really projected a lot of this into this book. And that's where little Claudia comes into the picture, you know, yeah. who I thought was kind of too young. But I guess her versatility as a child vampire, she grew, her brain grew, but nothing else grows, mm. you know. And, and that, that I thought was kind of, you know, you can't keep them young forever. But I, I kind of understand Anne Rice more now. Yeah. As a it, was mom. Let, it was let me in, but yeah, it's, uh, set years ago. That's quite interesting about like you know she she was she was maturing inside, but ex- her exterior was still a child. Like you know, and of course people would sort of like take her on that face value. That was a new slant on the vampire thing. You know, I think I think that was quite quite a, a different jump. Then he got with the uh, like um, this this sort of different different slant altogether. You know, I'm trying to think Twilight. Was more like concentrating on like teenagers. It's almost like we're stepping up through the years, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But these, do you, well, that's the movie. I was going to jump ahead on something. We're not yeah. talking about the movie yet. Well, I mean, another interesting thing about. I mean, I've read most of the Vampire Chronicles anyway. I went through a period where I was reading a lot of Anne Rice. The Vampire Chronicles for me, for Anne Rice, is not my favorite anyway. I love, I love the Mayfair Witches Chronicles, and I, they were fantastic. I have and yet do to read of, that. I haven't read those. Now, they, they were my favorite because that was just about, you know, the family of witches and, you know, the first books were really thick and then the books after that and then, you know, and all that was interesting. The Vampire Chronicles, I pretty much read like the first five. Right. Then I kind of got bored with the stat because I find him a bit, not in this book, but when you read further about him, when you get to be where the stat's telling about his story, which is Queen of the Damned and the stat. Right. I love that one. You realize that he's a bit of an asshole because you're, he's always you're not, been an asshole. Though. Saying, I this and I this and I'm wonderful. It's a bit like okay, and after <laughs> after about five six books, you're like God. You're just a, you're just a narcissistic. Well, asshole. he was already a douche. I mean, you know, I'm going to give you the choice that I never had, kind of thing. You know, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. what kind of choice is that? You're you're homo- like homicidal. You want to die. And so, you know, somebody's giving up, like the Prince of Darkness shows up all of a sudden. Yeah, you'll be young and beautiful for the rest of your life. 
There's no such thing as a free lunch, even in the supernatural world. <laughs> so what's, what's quite interesting in the movie, um, we will talk about the movie a little bit further, but and the movie does allude to it, but the interviewer, his name is Daniel. In, the, in, the, in this book, he's just the, the boy. boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but his name is Daniel, and he actually gets turned by Lestat later on in the series, and he actually becomes um, Louis's um, companion. So that's what happens to his character. So it's quite interesting to go back. And so I, I read the interview with Vampire probably in 1982. And I always say Stephen King's your gateway, your, you know, your, your gateway drug into horror. Yeah. And then after that, then you start looking for more and more. And Anne Rice probably ends up coming in there as well because you need something a bit more. They both had a book come out right about the same time, I think. They were talking about how much money it was worth. Like, I think he got paid 400 grand for his novel. She got paid like 300,000 for this. I don't know if it was to turn it into a movie or not. But yeah. that was quite a bit back in the 70s. That album, that equivocates to like two or three million. But he beat, she only beat, lost in that by like 100,000. So that's quite a, for a first novel, that's quite a tell, you know. So. Well, another thing, I mean, this book would spawn off the whole vampire culture that you find today in New Orleans. Oh, it totally changed everything. It was, we got rid of the old vampire, the Bram Stoker vampire, and now you have beautiful sexualized vampires, you know, and vampire, a totally this, this, different ball game. She changed you know, it. If you, to, if you go to New Orleans now, you can go to the vampire-inspired clubs now. No, there's you know. vampire clubs in New Orleans. Yes, there is. All right. <laughs> it's all because of the Vampire Chronicles. Okay. So kind of put it on the map in another way. Like, yeah, yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, You guys should come and, over. But, It'll be a field trip. You guys will all go to New Orleans. I'll go to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get, I mean, people, because of the Anne Rice, you know, Vampire Chronicles, I mean, people go to the dentist, get fangs actually implanted in yep. and stuff like yep. this. Well, because of books as well, because, I mean, they really, and, um, and I guess an interesting thing about Anne Rice's, you know, this book to spring it off is that it's, it's an intelligent horror novel. In the vein of like Bram Stoker's Dracula, but it actually is a lot more detailed than Bram Stoker's Dracula. I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula, as you know, because we did cover that a couple of years ago. It's like a diary. It's all done by letters. It's all letters and going back and forth. But this is basically, you know, I mean, I don't know how long the boy was interviewing Louis, but with all that information, I'm sure it had to go over like a week. <laughs> oh, God, you think? It wasn't just a night. She was also um, heavily influenced by that uh, 1936's Universal's horror film, Dracula's Daughter. Yeah. Mm. So something else I haven't watched in a long time. Now I've got to find that one somewhere. <laughs> Watch Dracula's it, Daughter has a lot of homosexual overtones to it. Well, there's a, that was the whole point. That's why I was trying to wonder, was it homosexual overtones or was it the fact that she really wanted this character to be a transsexual transvestite? Right. So this could have been a woman. I mean, it just found it fascinating why, why she kind of just kept the way. Well, she's very open-minded person anyway. Well, but then again, I mean, if you bring sexuality into it, I mean, the vampires are never once are having sex with each other. None of them are having sex no. with each other. No, not at all. But it's heavily hinted at that there's a lot of attraction and chemistry, like between him and Armand. Not so much Lestat. I think he really just dislikes Lestat for everything that, you know, he represents because he's just so happy about killing. And when they get Claudia, she's just like his little killer. You know, she she's 
just in the same vein, literally like him. She was, <laughs> she just yes. kills. Yes. So, I mean, it, the characters are fascinating. You have to admit they're all fascinating characters. Well, Louis never accepts responsibility for himself anyway. No, I mean, he just was- cries, pisses and moans through the whole damn book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you're born a, if you're born a tiger, you're going to be a killer. <laughs> You know, it's point. You know, don't go around saying like, "Oh, Louis. you know." <laughs> yeah, Louis. You know. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's got like a bit of a hang. And that's another thing: if you're going to be immortal, it's probably best not to be an immortal if you've got chronic depression. No, I know. Can you imagine being chronically <laughs> depressed and being immortal? Forever. I mean, <laughs> it's just you like know. some people should not be immortal. That's all. Yeah, he'd be mourning his family for. Well, yeah, you know. Ever. Well, his brother died, and that was a big problem for him, yeah. but. Yeah, because he's not married in the book, so yeah. um, that's something that comes in the film. So he's basically it's just his brother. But then again, you don't know if he's depressed because his brother died, or is he depressed because he's got responsibility for everything now? It he's sounds like he's got to take care of everything. He's got responsibility yeah, for the plantation and the family business, and he's plantations are probably a huge it. undertaking because yeah. those are huge. If you go visit any of them, well, they're, the land is quite small now. But I mean, the properties must have been enormous, and they had to be a huge oh, undertaking. Boy. Huge, Absolutely. you know. I mean, yes, it's almost like running a small city, you know, in a sense, like you know, yeah. basically, yeah. They're beautiful. Some of the buildings. Kind of interesting reading the book is the stat doesn't have money of his own. All his money is tied up. In, it's Lewis's money that's paying for everything. Oh, yeah. You know, and as soon as he becomes, it's quite weird because I think I think this is what drives a wedge between um, Louis and. With that, it's a simple fact that you know, as soon as he turns into a vampire, Louis turns in. Let's that start we this and we that, and this is our money, and this is our house, and this is yeah, yeah, our yes, And if you think about it, it's like Lestat doesn't bring anything into the relationship at all, but everlasting life, I guess. But it's <laughs> Louis that has to pay for everything, it's all his money, and yeah, well, he is kind of paying for everything, isn't he? Because look at the, we got this great house to live in, and you yeah, know, yeah. Lestat just kind of came in and you know, bit him and inserted himself into his life. I mean, yeah. think of all of the slaves he was eating. I mean, you know, he depopulated the plantation, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like he was eating he was, everybody, it was, was like, like a squatter, squatter, stop eating the help. I found interesting about Lestat is that he, I found that he wants to be part of the aristocracy, but in the fact that he really despises them because if he always think that he normally feeds on the aristocracy, that's who he likes to feed on. The bad people. Yeah. But it's the rich people. Yeah. Yeah. But they're the most, we know sometimes they're the ones that are so decrepit and defunct of moral turpitude, you know? So they're the ones that deserve to get bit. Yeah. Or the simple fact that he, he hates he hates them so much because he's never he's never going he's never a part of them. Yeah. How much does a vampire actually allowed to drink? I mean, when you think about, it, they drain a body in the book like in like ten seconds. That's yeah. just yeah, like I, I can't down a beer in ten seconds. Well, the, the, yeah, but the rules of this one, the rules of the vampire in these books is that you can't drain them till they're you can't dead. Drain them all. The right. Right. So, mm, when the yeah. heart's beating, that's what it is. The heart's got got to still be beating, or it's dead blood. Yeah. yeah. And how do you not kill something? Like, because when they bite <laughs> and, they, and they they convert you, how do they know when to stop? Ah, that's well, funny. because if they bite into a major artery, then as the blood is seeping out, the it pumps, doesn't it? And the pump, bleed out. The pump gets slower. Yeah. Right. 
You know, it's a bit like um, if you, you know, if you have to get a suction pump to, to get all out of a water system, you know, to clean out a water system because something's flooded. I think you've got to be on the verge of death to want it. The end of it, then it starts going a bit slower. Doesn't, and there's a lot of air that starts going through and. Thing like, so. it's like scientific really <laughs> I think you gotta be on the verge of death and that's when they, they feed you their blood I think that's it that's how I understand it but what am I don't know anything about vampire etiquette because I'm not a vampire <laughs> well you, you yeah, have to feed, I mean you do have to feed your blood if you if you're vampire if you feed and you get them down to the last heartbeat then you gotta feed them your blood don't you I mean yeah if they're already dead if they're dead you can't you can't revitalize them with your blood because they need to be able to digest that into their blood system, don't they? So, right. I mean, I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know if you maybe cut open a, your own vein and then cut open their vein and then hopefully bleed into their vein, but that's not a very good way of doing it because it's, it just looks pain. I don't look at, I don't think I'd like a diet of blood. It looks kind of nasty. Yeah. It's, you know, very coppery tone, very coppery, very tone. coppery. <laughs> if it was, Hagen dolls, I scream. Maybe it might be different. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't mind that. Like, you know. <laughs> and then you wonder about how much alcohol as well. Because, I mean, that's been. Good, well. <laughs> yeah. Who was it? What was that movie with George, George? Oh, God. George. Oh, God. What's his name? George Hamilton. And he, he eats that. He drinks the blood of that drunk. He goes, Oh, my God. What was that guy drinking last night? <laughs> that's right. What is this? That's classic. I love him in that. <laughs> love what, are what are your thoughts of the book? When I read this book, it was 2001 or two. And I remember at the beginning, I was really reluctant of reading it because it's a big book. Um, and I was Great like, then, then, I started to, yeah, then it was summertime. Then I started to read it and I really enjoyed it. I like how, how, the places are described because I remember that there was one part that there was this, they were in a city and I really like it how, you know, when you, when someone describes you a place and you can see it, you can see the action happening. And I remember that, that I really liked that and the um, friendship, I don't know if I can call it, you know. I don't between, know what to call uh, that either. Yeah. Louis Lestat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was a, a lot of like a complicity at the same time, you know, it's like, I don't know, like, and, and companion in a way. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I remember I was really reluctant to read it. And then when after I read it, uh, I have that book like for a long time in a shelf, not, not giving it a chance. <laughs> um, yes, I, I will. I will recommend it. I found with me with Interview with Vampire, I found the beginning okay. It kind of moves quite slow. Yes. And then. Claudia, as soon as Claudia comes on the scene, that's when my, my interest is peaked at that yeah, point. Yeah. It definitely got yeah. interesting then. And then because cause then you have like the whole. Then you have like the whole. The, the, the family situation going on, which is, you know, an yes. So, But at the same time, and then, then you know, Claudia is like goes okay i'm gonna kill the start you know and then she you know they try to get rid of Kastat, and then they go to europe and once they got to europe this is when the book really takes off for me is when they get europe yes yes they're going through all the eastern Eastern that's what that's what i'm saying when they were in europe that i they were remember there was a description they were like i think in the the top of the building and i remember that you know you can see in your in your head like the place and the action and i really Mm -hmm. like when that thing happens because not not 
but but the the books that we have been reading, I think they were really good, like written like in this uh, way. But you know, sometimes I have read other books that yeah, you see the story, but not nothing else. I also like the Paris, the Extraordinary, the Theater Group as well. That that was fascinating as well. I really loved that. That whole. was. I think it was weird how that that the regular humans went in there to watch them, watch them kill somebody, thinking it's just damn good acting. Yeah. You know that that was fascinating because human beings are the most morose, morbid things on the planet. Absolutely, I know <laughs> I am. So <laughs> well. The- there is a. Um, it was a bit you know, like the cabaret Voltaire, extraordinaire. Anyway, in Paris, it's that ran during this time period as well. So I like the way that she was able to incorporate history in with everything as well. Which uh, that's, I got a that's, question because I didn't understand why they were like this and the other vampires. They ran into just mindless animated corpses in the book, but when you get to Paris, you see intelligent higher beings. Why do you think that? they were like that, like just blood sucking animals, like, like, you know, like you see in, you know, movies. Yeah. Oh. I think there was two different kinds of vampire. In Europe yeah. were very, very old though, weren't they? Well, yeah, the were, Eastern Europe ones in the book. Yeah, like, they like the vampire, yeah. that's what they were saying. So maybe there's something about aging or, and, they seem to be like really, really old and very like like some of the oldest. That's that's what they're saying. Well, Armand's four hundred years old, and he's you know I guess I, I I was just trying to make sense out of that. I couldn't find an answer anywhere as to why she made those vampires dumb and slow and vile, and the, you know the vampires in Paris are educated, sexy, and knowledgeable. You know, I just <laughs> thought it was kind of maybe there were like con- concepts. Um, yeah. the, the people at that time maybe they might, they might I remember be. no I tell you this because for example I remember that there is an Argentinian um, politician and he also was the one who created schools in mm-hmm. Argentina you know, and then he when he have he was in power he have he, he was able to, he wanted to copy he, there were two models to copy USA or Europe uh-huh. And they were not similar, and he wanted to ins- bring to Argentina the one that was from USA. But other people in the society, because they were coming from Europe, they want the European kind of view of of, of education, uh-huh. and there was all like a kind of like um, fight, if you want to call it that. So probably could be like I don't know, like she wanted to contrast. I don't know the. European, I don't know, vision of the the time, you know, that there were like all the, for example, university where Emmeline Bronte and Charlotte Bronte were to study that were in, I can't remember the name of the country right now. Um, well, Paris is also very metropolitan as well. Yes. Very, very you much know, so. The yeah. at the time, they're very, very poor. I mean, Poland, Romania, you. Yeah, I guess that has something to do with it. That That's like, a good point. And Paris is like the mecca. It's like the cultural mecca, isn't it? I mean, the theater group that I was thinking of is the the La Theatre du Grand Gounal, which is basically was known as the Grand Gounal. Was a theater in the Papel district of Paris, which was in about eighteen ninety seven until it was closing in nineteen sixty two. And they used to do naturalistic horror shows there, which they would show death and yeah, 
Yeah. of it all and it would be quite realistic and that that was a huge draw this time so i imagine i'd go that, watch it <laughs> yeah, I would so i imagine that the this theater group that they're seeing is around the same time so we're probably looking at the 1890s sort of thing and by yeah, that time well this was set in the civil war though too did you notice how that in new orleans we have a civil war going on and she kind of skirted around that completely well new but new orleans um when did New Orleans? Become, I don't think New Orleans was part of the Civil War anyway. Louisiana was even. But part they were of, bottling up the harbors. The Yankees were, you know, stuff yeah, like that. I mean, it did affect New Orleans like big time. Yeah, but at the same time, they weren't involved in the war itself. They didn't have to go to war, sort of thing, because they still belonged to France until like what eighteen sixty two. Like Louisiana Purchase was around that time after the war, Civil War. No, Civil War ends in eighteen sixty five. So they have people. We have battles in Louisiana. It's around yeah. seventeen ninety one. This is 1790s. They they lived their well. Claudia matures to 70 years oh. old, I believe, right? Because yeah. they've gone through the Enlightenment, so they were probably around the Romantic period or the naturali- naturalistic period. Mm-hmm. And I think they were just on the cusp of that. Um, right. And you'd, you'd have like you'd have like a hierarchy of society, like what um, William Hogarth yeah, was doing true. with his yeah. engravings, because. He would show like people hanging out in the brothels all together, people drinking, um, people who had money and easy access to this type of thing. So it's on different levels. And I think it was captured really well, actually. But I think this was on. I would have said it was on the cusp of romantic. Yeah, I agree with you. She could have picked a better city. I would have have expected to see more memories and um, (laughs) breastfeeding and things like that. But it wasn't depicted as much. No. Uh, But um, that the, the theme definitely came across really well, um, but um, yeah, I mean, to be long, I mean, Louisiana was still part of France at that time. And what a perfect! Um, I got to remember the, the Louisiana Purchase. That's going to bug me now. It's basic history. <laughs> <laughs> so, because that—that's the reason why everything's in French there as well. Mm. So, and. Um, yeah, Louisiana purchased. Um, yeah, well, they bought it in 18, 1803. That's when it became part of America. Yep. So. $15 million. That don't buy you shit no more here in Texas. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but another thing is, is that what you also got was um, the most of the slaves actually came from, you know, what they were doing is mixing Catholicism with their ancient practices, and that's what voodoo is. Yeah, you got voodoo, the Santa voodoo, Maria. They got all kinds of do. Trust me. Well, Tahiti had the Santa <laughs> Maria. It was basically with their corn goddess, which they turned yeah. into the, the Santa Maria, and that's voodoo. And so you don't want to screw Maria. with those, those uh, yeah, Santeria people. You just no. <laughs> Every duty, is it? Or the Santa Carla, <laughs> so lost boys. <laughs> It's funny, you know that um, movie yeah, uh, Angel Heart had that same. I mean, it's still very stiped, and they're very proud of their voodoo heritage and their 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 vampire heritage as well that goes on there. And it's all very very dark history. It's quite a touristy thing now too. They've got shops everywhere. There's bars with themed with it and everything. You just y'all just got to come over here. Well, I, I mean, isn't that isn't that where True Blood takes place? <laughs> yeah, True. Yeah, Vampire Diaries is in Virginia. True Blood is in Louisiana. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they kept it up. 
I mean, another thing, I mean, Anne Rice um, brought the vampire into vogue as well. I mean, you know, it's it, considering that the, the film came a lot later, you know, we're looking at 20, almost 20 years before the film came along. So by 1978-1980, Louisiana became a great big vampire mecca because the book was so popular. Wow. Okay. I don't think they expected it to be that popular either, to tell you the truth, because she had a hard time getting it uh, published. Well, I can see why. I mean, to be honest, it's, I mean, it's an old fashioned book written for written in a modern time, mo- written for modern times. So the, the literature and the wording is very, very labor intensive when you when you first start it. And as soon as you get to the flow of it, it becomes easier as you get on with it. But I remember the first time reading it, it's like, oh, my God, how long is this? <laughs> but then then I got into the, the flavor of it, and the way it's written and the floweriness of it. And then and finally she, took had, off. she had trouble getting it um the screenplay yeah she had some trouble with that i think well, well she, also- she added that whole vampire theater thing in her rewrite and lestat's name was supposed to be lestan and that was a they had a, a misspelling of that so but lestat just kind of took mm-hmm. she wanted a creole name and there was a typo or some such thing and then it just was stopped forever and ever yeah, yeah, it's like it's like Buddy Holly, you know, the the miss the E out and just that it's your double L Y, you know. Yeah, it's actually E Y. Well, you know, <laughs> the popularity of these books. I mean, it, unfortunately, she died last December. And yeah, last December. sadly. Oh. But after these books, I mean, she's. I mean, she even wrote uh, pornography as well. She's writing porn as well under wow. the name of Anne Reclair, which wrote the. You know, Sleeping Beauty, you know, the tale of Sleeping Beauty about S- their S&M porn, porn that she's writing as well. They came after the vampire novels. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. She had a really good imagination. Yes, she did. It was almost like Anais Nin and Henry Miller sort of writing those of porn. She, yeah, she, she had write, wrote, rewritten this several times. I mean, she... She got down to it, though. I mean, that just seems like, God, it's such a big book, five weeks. Like, she was just jamming on that thing. She yes. just got inspired. Well, it's a therapy, isn't it? The loss of a daughter, so. Yeah, well, yeah, I can dig that completely. I mean, but but just the, the whole book, though, is about seeking. I mean, they're trying to find this. It's it's almost, it's, I can't compare it to um The Hobbit or any of that, but it's just suffering and struggle and you know mm-hmm. obstacles and you know and then when claudia dies you know i mean it was just awful because i didn't the first time i read the book i didn't see that one coming because i didn't realize well, they said this to, you're not supposed to make young vampires well because she was lethal probably the most adult vampires i guess but i just felt bad for her and i i I think that, you know, Louis was being kind of a shit. He should have just gave her her companion. Let's face it. He wanted Armand in a big way. Yeah. So he should, instead of making, I don't know why they decided to kill her because he had given her a companion. Well, that's right. They thought, yeah, Lestat was supposed to stay dead in the book. That's where I get confused. In the the book, you got to remember Lestat shows up in Paris. Right. But he's supposed to be dead in the book. And then she redid everything. To where he didn't die, so that kind of where that was supposed to happen, kind of, kind of sticks in my head, and the movie kind of takes over. It's hard not to think of the book without the movie. In so my basically, when yeah, shows, that shows up, that's basically the death. Yeah, of get him. Yeah, Claudio. 
But everybody pines after Louie. I mean, just lovesick after him because he's such a sad sack. And they just love his, (laughs) what is his humanity still. But when Claudia makes him give her that companion, I think that's when his humanity is gone. Correct me. I think that's when he decided he didn't have that anymore. And so nobody's interested in Louie when he's not into humanity. You know, when he turns into an asshole, they don't want him anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean... Claudia had the foresight, basically, to sit there and say that, you know, basically, it's like, you're going to be leaving me. You're going to go running off with Armand, and I'm going to be like the third wheel. Yeah, so you've got to... I mean, it's quite sad that... I mean, I've said something in the book, I was really upset when Claudia died, because I really liked yeah. her character. I really liked her to live on. And, you know, become a character in the next 13 books that would come out. <laughs> I felt bad for her, though, because that's got to be... She's got the mind of a sage old woman... <laughs> But not the physical experiences that come with being a woman, you know, sex, having babies, you know, just things that are normal. Well, first of all, she's never going to have babies anyway, even if she turned it and she had a woman. Well, you know what I mean. She just, but they robbed her of her humanness. Well, they they robbed her of uh, womanhood in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. No woman's going to, I guess it depends on which vampire story you're looking at because, you know, in some vampire movies, they have babies with lycanthropes. But sometimes, you know, read babies come around. I'm wondering, if, I'm wondering no, that, that's, a, that's the wolfman. <laughs> I'm wondering if Claudia is using that as an excuse because at the same time, she couldn't get away with stuff with Lestat, where she gets away with stuff with Dan, um, Dan or Liz, Louis. Yeah. I'm sorry so, to go off. And off so to get Louis to herself. Yeah. I've, I've just ordered the wolfman's got nards <laughs> and, and from America. Um, the Monster Squad documentary. I can't wait to watch that. She said Wolfman. It's just sorry about that. Sorry. He said the Wolfman. And I said the Wolfman um, trilogy as well. She did wrote a book about those as well. Um, so, so sometimes I wonder if, like Claudia, was basically, um, you know, did she did she really want to be a woman? Because at the end of the day, her being the little girl made her the greatest predator on earth. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, yeah, that's right. She, she had the, the, the trap straight away, you know, I mean, the, the innocence, the, the vulnerability, whereas like inside, she's like a total predator, you know? Yeah. Well, she didn't remember being, you know, being a five-year-old human. Well, of course she's 10 in the movie, but she doesn't remember any of that. So she doesn't have anything to gauge for humanity anyway. Okay. Right. Boy. She forgot you know, all of that. Is, though, if she was, if she was in a woman's body, she probably wouldn't be as successful in killing and feeding. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, she's a cute little girl. Who's, oh, you're lost. Let me help you, you know, big mistake. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's, this, there's a scene in the movie, sorry, jumping to the movie, but she's just sitting in the street and this lady yeah, comes yeah. up to her, you know, yeah, oh, are you lost little girl, you know, where's your mummy and your daddy? She, of course, she's just using herself as bait to get what she needs, you know? Wow. <laughs> And I also think that Louis kind of treated her a bit more. I mean, it's like the daughter, but at the same time, I yeah. that treated her like a little girl because it's Lestat that's always buying her the dolls and always yeah, buying that's her, right. her clothing. That's right. And so I think, you know, so, you know, first time I read it, I thought, okay, Claudia wants to be a woman. But then I'm kind of wondering if reading it this time, I kind of was wondering that maybe Claudia was using that as an excuse just to get rid of Lestat because Lestat was cramping her style. <laughs> you know, he's the one that was 
He's the one, well, he's the one that he would scold. He, he, that's the one who's scolding her. So it's that taking the parent. Where Louis, when, when she was Louis, Louis was just spoiling her. Let her, you know, he can do whatever she well, wants. Well, Lestat spoiled her too, but he saw her as a predator. You know, he didn't see her as the child, you know, the loving child that Louis kind of, you know, did. But Louis never corrects her when she does something wrong. It's always mm. Lestat. And whenever Lestat has a go at her, what yes, like killing inside the house, so on and so forth. Louis like, oh, please don't pick on her. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, so you got this, these two parents. It's like, you know, and yeah. she's playing each parent against each other, really. Because they're all their arguments that are happening are because of Claudia. Claudia, yeah, she Claudia. becomes the, yeah, she's like the, the, the center of the triangle, you know, the, the mm-hmm. apex of the triangle. Yeah, I guess, you know, yeah. That's true. And then I think that, you know, at the end of the day, she's like, okay, I've had a father, you know, I, I had my two gay dads, you know, with me. So <laughs> gay dad, we got rid of one. Gay, gay dad number two is running off and, you know, another right. guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. Here, so I'm going to try and have a mother figure. And that's why she goes to the mother figure, which, of course, right. I well, quite it would have been perfect. <laughs> she would have been a perfect companion and cover for her, though, because they could be mother <laughs> and daughter, so they could get through yeah. society well, you know. Very, so yeah. actually, it was very yeah. smart choice. They can uh, kind, of, kind of become invisible. They could find a suitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah, every 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 day, every once a week. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, how much do they need to eat? <laughs> But I mean, they're talking about to the fostering service system, and (laughs) they're taking out four and five. Well, they're they're slaughtering (laughs) families. I mean, how much blood do they need? Yeah, yeah, like beginning as Uber, you know. Yeah, (laughs) three times a day, three three. You, you pick a, a poor, unfortunate soul to begin with, an aristocratic, uh, aristocrat, and then someone who's very yeah. pretty. You, see, you know, he had three a day sort of thing. God, he was eating rats all the time. Yeah, yeah, Louis, Louis, Louis was feeding on rats and pigeons and birds and stuff like yeah. this. That takes mm. a lot. I mean, there's like, God, just rats just gross me out. I like them as pets, kind of, sort of, but they just... <laughs> I'm not afraid of them. I just prefer not to have them around. I mean, if it had to be in modern times, fantastically well in London, because apparently you're never more than five feet away from a rat in London. <laughs> we got a shit ton of them out back. I see them going, not in our property, but they they go into the little barns and stuff. You see them running down the telephone poles, yeah. the telephone wires at night. And it's like, oh, oh. Ah, that's gnarly. So they got a bunch of them somewhere. They've got oyster cards in London, you know. The you know the the commute all over. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember. I mean, and the rats here are aggressive as well. You don't want to corner them here. Could look them after you. Oh, that's yeah, right. Big, yeah. big sewer rats in in New York City. I remember those. They're the size of cats. <laughs> wow. I saw three rats the other day. One had a, a, a baton. He's banging in his fist, looking for somebody pretty boy. I said, oh, crap. <laughs> "Let's get out of the tube." <laughs> <laughs> I don't Very like them. Busking. Yeah, <laughs> busking rats. About their bus for a living. <laughs> oh, God. Busking rats. <laughs> uh, I just, just thought of 
He was <laughs> oh the movie when he's squeezing the blood of that rat. Yeah. Oh into yeah. The, into the wine glass. As yeah. Well. Yes. Feel, That's all I kept thinking of when I was reading the book. Is he eating them like yeah, or is he squeezing them like oh, fresh boy. orange juice into his glass or something? You know. Well, the, funny, the, sense, the funny thing about this, <laughs> yeah, one of his five a day. Once, once, um, you know, Lestat's like horrified with Louis feeding off the rats, but then what we get is when Louis finally goes back to New Orleans after his yeah. ice cream, and we're yeah. back you know, we're entering the 20th century. Was that before? I know Lestat that was got Babette. We forgot about Babette. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got Lestat now feeding off rats to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of reverse roles here. Yeah, Don't you think that people noticed like a bunch of slaves and people just showing up dead all the time? <laughs> well, slaves, slaves are ownership at that time. At the moment, they're not people. They're not. Yeah, no, true. Their ownership is like you're, it's like if you kill a cow, no one's going to take a notice that you killed a cow. And I hate to sit there and say, I know we're talking about people here, but you got to look at the time period. And slaves are, yeah. they're, they're like livestock for you. So, you right, know, right. Report them. Well, so back in those days. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what our um, ratings are. So out of five, what would you rate Interview with Vampires, starting with you, David? Yeah, the book, um, I would say five, because it is yeah, a good read. You know, good yeah. One. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I am a book person. I, I like to read books, you know, and... Um, I just, I just like, I think it's because you engage your imagination. You can sort of color the characters your own way, you know. Obviously, she gives you, she gives you like a stepping stone, but it's all, books are just great, you know. You get more from a book, you know, sometimes in the movie. You do. You do. Yeah. Although I'm not knocking movies. I mean, I love to be entertained, but when you read a book, you have to entertain yourself. Right. Right. <laughs> so five, I think, Keith. What about yourself, Craig? Where do you rate it? Um, I like the book, but I think I think I missed the premise of the book, so oh. I'll probably give it. I'll give it a. I'll give it a four out of five. Fangs out of five. <laughs> fangs for because the. Memory. I think I missed the premise that I didn't realize the backstory, and I didn't realize I did. It's, I get tunnel vision sometimes, so yeah. Um, I think we all do. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you're reading. Especially on the tubes. <laughs> on the, yeah. the tube. Well, I would want tunnel vision anyway, just to avoid what's going around around me. Yeah. <laughs> it is very early in the morning when I'm reading. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. What about yourself, Vix? What, do you, what are your thoughts? What's your, what's your Normally, reading? I would have given it a four because it was kind of long, you know? So, I, I'm so ADHD, if you guys have not noticed that. But, um mm-hmm. I, after reading the backstory to Anne Rice, because I really didn't read, I, I, I have to force myself now on to read the backstories to why somebody wrote a novel, because it changes it for you. You know, I mean, as a suffering mother that she was, I thought that that was interesting in how she wrote this and why she wrote it and how it evolved from a short story into the novel that it became. So I'd probably give it a five because it's a good read anyway. But when you get the backlight to it, you know, it makes it that much more interesting because this is all what's going on in her head and she put it down. I'm going to give it a five. Enjoyment, I'm going to give it a four. Um, But for overall, I'll give it a five because it is a feat of a book. I think it 
it changed the way that we look at the whole vampire. It totally and, changed the vampire genre completely. Yeah, very, very, and, and the description and everything. It's a very, very, you know, stoic book to read, which I think, you know, because of that, it, it you read it, you feel like you've been educated. <laughs> so, that, you know, so I'll give it a five. But enjoy a second time around. The first time I read it, I enjoyed it more than the second time around. The second time I did find some of it a little bit laborious to read some of, some of it. But but I will give it a five overall because I think it's an astounding book and it did bring us Anne Rice onto the world sort of thing. And I think that, I think it's a book that I think everyone should at least read once. I don't know if it's a great book to read on multiple reads though. I don't think I could sit down and multiple, you know, read it more than once or twice. I'll have to be in a mood for it, but it's enjoyable. I wouldn't, you know, I know a lot of people think said it's one of their favorite stories. So it just depends. Yeah, I give it that. So now we're going to cut to Interview with the Vampire, the film, which is an American Gothic horror film that came out in 1994 and was directed by Neil Jordan coming off the back of The Crying Game. It's based on Anne Rice's 1976 novel, and it stars Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. The film focuses on the stat and Lewis, beginning with Lewis's transformation into a vampire by the stat in 1791. The film chronicles their time together and their turning of a 10-year-old Claudia into a vampire. A narrative is framed by a present-day interview in which Louis tells a story to a San Francisco reporter. The supporting cast includes Christian Slater, Antonio Banderas, and Stephen Rea. The film was released in November 1994 to pos- generally positive reviews and was a commercial success. It received Oscar nominations for Best Art Direction and Best Original Score. Christian Dunst was additionally nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress for her first role ever in a film. Mm. A standalone sequel, Queen of the Dam, was released in 2002 with Stuart Townsend replacing Cruz and the Stat. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Interview of the Vampire and we'll be right back. I want you to see we get started. So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. From the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. What if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. I can see you lying on a bit of satin. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. And a daughter who would be forever young. This is the only real evil left. And then he took the light of day. You're a vampire who never knew 
what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. I can't stand this any longer. You made us what we are, didn't you? God kills indiscriminately, and so shall we. Do you like dying? You condemn me to hell! Brad Pitt, Stephen Ray, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst, and Christian Slater. Interview with the Vampire. Hello, welcome back to Lish Lodge's podcast. We're discussing Interview with the Vampire, the film from 1994. So, David, what are your thoughts of the film Interview with the Vampire? Okay. Well, I thought it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good movie. It's interesting. Holds your attention, you know, and, um, a few little things, facts from the movie that they, they actually asked the actors to hang upside down for half an hour. So yeah. they could get, get, the, yeah, get the vid exactly. And then draw them in like, you know, to get the, the true sort of effect. I did not know getting. that. I wonder if they do that with other vampire stuff to get them all veiny and shit. Maybe they I, should do that to uh, like the British government. You know, <laughs> to get the brains working or something. But uh, no, I think um, it's funny. Uh, Lestrade, yeah, you're right. He comes across as a bit pompous and a little bit, you know, over the top. But I thought Kirsten Dunst was the star, really, in the movie for me. What yeah. uh, a young age and to hold that sort of that weight of like the role she had to play. Fantastic, you know, really cool. Um, and Anthony Banderas doesn't really get much of a look at, but he, he was he had a lot of pr- prominence in the movie. Really. At stage, mm. you know, prominence like I thought, you know, mm. yeah. But um, no, I've I've seen the movie a couple of times. It's one of them ones that always comes on the Horror Channel in England, you know, and uh, you'll watch it and think, well, I've seen it before. But you know, you get engrossed in it. It's just a, it's just an exciting, interesting, dark, um, gothic. It's dark. Yeah, dark. <laughs> it's a bit like dark chocolate with a whipped cream on top of me. <laughs> Except for the few times that Tom Cruise makes light of death, you know, where he's dancing with the lady, the Kristen Dunst mother's corpse there. She's oh, got well, a little yeah. life left in her, or, you know, <laughs> making fun of Louis Funny for leaving cheese. trails yeah. of rats. He knows where That's to right. find him because there's dead, dead. Well, it's the old thing, you know, don't play with your dinner. Don't yeah. play with your food before you eat it. <laughs> I have yes, to say that Kristen Dunst steals this whole film. I yeah. didn't realize it was the first one, Keith. Amazing, you know? Yeah. That she's really she a regular schoolgirl. Yeah. She never acted a day in her life. Wow. wow. Born a born actress or actor, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know? What do you have to say, Andre? What are your thoughts of the film? Um, <clears throat> uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I remember it was like, well, for me, it's like, my generation, I think that movie is like a classic. Um, I was born in 1984, and by the time the movie was out, I think you said it was 1994. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. So I was 10, but probably I watched that movie when I was around 15, probably. And yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed more the book, but I think it was a really good movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was quite interesting that they got Neil Jordan to direct it, considering that 
most of Neil Jordan, Neil Jordan's quite a very respected English director, but his stuff always is very gritty. Yeah. So I heard that he's going to direct this, and I said I saw the Crying Game, which is a brilliant film. It's yeah, like the Crying yeah, Game. That was a good yeah. movie. But when I saw the grand scale, what he did with this movie, I was quite impressed because it looks. I mean, it looks like a million dollars. You know, it looks like the money he spent. It was on ornate. It was very mm-hmm. ornate. You know what kept going? Because we went to the Palace of Versailles once, and we we're in France, and it just kept reminding me of that ornateness in Paris and that area because they were. Just, that's just the way it was back then. And they brought yeah. that ornateness over to Louisiana with them. And you could see yeah. it in the paintings yeah. and stuff. I just yeah, love yeah. that stuff, though. The beginning yeah. of all. And it's all done with models. This is before CGI. So it's all done yeah. like with models and old, old, old Hollywood sort of thing. They said Brad Pitt was extremely miserable through this whole movie. Yeah. And they said it would <laughs> cost $40 million to buy his way out of it. So wow. they kept it anyway. But I mean, I guess the, the hanging upside down, working in darkness. He didn't like it. He didn't like the makeup that all the theatrics that went with the makeup. And, okay. and apparently, she wanted Rutger Howard to be or be it. Really? Now they're considering Jared Leto, Leto, Leto yeah, to do a right. remake. So the, the contact lenses back then must have been really uncomfortable oh, for really. him to wear in the nineties. The vampire yeah, costumes. Yeah, yeah. they like. It must have really um, been quite. Um, well, I, I would, I would go nuts having to put those things in my eyes. <laughs> I do not do contacts. I don't do no. eyeballs. I don't do any of that. It just. We also have to remember that Brad Pitt is six foot and Tom Cruise is five six. Yeah. And, and so basically, they're walking side by side. Um, Tom, Brad Pitt has to walk in a ditch to make them the same size. Oh my gosh. I think Tom Cruise might have enjoyed this movie a bit too much as well. Well, I don't think Brad Pitt, I think Brad Pitt was upset. He said he didn't like being Tom Cruise's little bitch in this movie, (laughs) I think was what they said. Okay, right. Because it made Tom Cruise kind of sort of a little bit. I mean, it it bumped him up in the 90s because he was kind of, you know, kind of. I think it bumped up Brad Pitt as well, because before this, Brad Pitt was only known for Thelma Louise. And before that, he was known for uh, California. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, Keith, you know, um, you know the the werewolf movie that Neil Jordan directed. I can't remember Whoa. the name of it, but with Jack uh, no, no, not not Jack Nicholson. It was um, oh, Dog Soldier. That was Wolf. Yeah, the one no. about the like the fairy tale, you know, and it's like a, oh, it's like, yeah, yeah, um, a company of wolves. A company of wolves. That's, was that was this before? Um, this uh, is this movie. after. Ah, okay, sorry. Okay, cool. Because right, that was Neil Jordan was like in the eighties with yeah. Angela Lansbury was in that, wasn't she? Neil Jordan, he said, um, he basically said that the themes of the Catholic guilt for, in the novel attracted him to it. But then he said it's the most wonderful parable about wallowing in guilt that I'd ever come across. <laughs> but these things are unconscious. I don't have an agenda. <laughs> but I love yeah. the I love the blood dripping scenes and the uh, minus the rat, the rats when he was biting into the rats and things that was kind of freaking me out a little bit. But yeah. Especially they, when weren't they, rats, the <laughs> they weren't real rats, Greg. They weren't real rats. They were. He wasn't eating real rats, oh, though. Oh. Okay. I was shocked <laughs> at the appearance of Stephen Ray in it. <laughs> it didn't look like him at all. It was just like... <laughs> yeah. He was kind he of a about, douche. That's about 30 years younger in this movie than he does. <laughs> you, know, you know the public, the theatre 
performance. Yeah, that yeah. that was my, probably my favorite. Yeah, me too. One of my favorite scenes. I know it's a bit weird, but when they all pounce on the girl like a vultures, mm, yes. they do it in From Dust Till Dawn as well. I've seen someone, a lot of the vampires do that, and it kind of makes me freaked out. But, yeah, it's um, probably my favorite scene actually. Because it's, like, it, it's, it's like it's it's like it's hidden in plain sight almost. Yeah, it's like cabaret like right Voltaire. You know, the beginning of like sort of the absurdity yeah. of theatre. You know, Alfred Jerry. You but know, people like this. I love the, the opening scenes um, in the city. They really to oh, show yeah. the bustling city because we were out last night in the city, mm, oh, and it was great. just as busy in the evening as it is in the daytime. Yeah, yeah. And you could just imagine. You don't know what's going on. There could be like a, a secret blade society going on with the ultraviolet. Um, codes to yeah. get into a vamp club, you know, and you're just walking through yeah. this, you know, oblivious. Yeah. Tonight, you know, but I did like gonna... the the opening shot when it comes in over the the fantastic yeah. Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. one of my favorite bridges. You know, love it. I was quite shocked to see Fandy Newton in it. Who, uh, oh, sorry, Kev? Fandy Newton. Okay, Fandy Newton's in Westworld. She um she's also was a Bond girl as well. But we oh, also, okay. in the line of duty, she was in the line of duty a couple of years ago. Um, but this is like one of her first roles. Yes. She's really loving it. So she's the slave girl that gets um, that's asking him about. Right. You know, um, so, are you that's feeling right. okay? We da 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 da. She's and a very, very pretty girl with really pretty. She's 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 actually my friend Gabriella. Um, she goes to her gym in London in Camden mm. Fitness. Yeah, she come in because she was talking about that movie. I forgot to tell you about that. You know, mm. she says, "Oh yeah." So you know, she said, "I couldn't take my eyes off Brad Pitt." <laughs> so, <laughs> How could you not? He's like so pretty. Yeah, I mean, says, he's just pretty. He was a real honey. <laughs> but I, mean, I can I see to... Rutger Howard. I don't know if I could see Rutger Howard doing Lestat because this seems like more of a, he was, well, he wasn't, the, well, yeah, he would have been too old for it in 94, I think. I think a more youthful character would have, I would have done a better. I don't remember a yeah, young Rutger Howard or anything, though. I mean, even in history, was by old looking. <laughs> <laughs> Rutger Howard never really well he's been it well he was didn't even look young and lady hawk did he yeah. <laughs> the only time you look kind of sort of like youthful was probably Blade Runner oh, yeah man. yeah, yeah that's yeah. true he River still looks older than everyone in the movie there, but he passed away oh yeah River Phoenix would have been brilliant as oh the, god uh, River Phoenix would have been he was going to be well, he's part of he's uh, the Slater oh. part yeah, he would have been part. Of, he would have been the writer, I believe, and then they got Christian yes. Slater because River Phoenix died. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I believe that's how it went. Yeah, I did like Christian Slater, and I did. I think he did a good job. Actually, I think he did a fabulous yes. job. Yeah. But he's always got that little. I always think of him in, in the in Billy Jean. He's got that look about him that you just can't. You Jack know, smart ass. Very yeah. Jack Nicholson, a young Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. But he's got like some kind Heathers. of appeal. Yeah. Later in Heathers, you just think Jack Nicholson. Oh, they made it in Pinewood Studios in London. Well, yeah, yeah some of the, the interior shots were shot in London. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, The Theatre des Vampires was set up. Ah, that, that's where they put the set. I think you're right. I think that's my favourite part of the movie. That and when, when the two vampires meet each other. In in the in the uh, tunnel, and he's mm. walking up the wall, you know, and kind of showing mm. off the different tricks that they can do, and they all possess a certain superpower in a sense, you know. Um, I don't know if there's any mind. shots in this anyway, because I think everything's map paintings and stuff like this. Because okay, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I. I, think I don't think I don't think there's any. I don't think they shot anything in New Orleans or anything like that. I think it's right. all 
I think, I think there's exterior shots, but I don't think there's any with the actors. I think they're just yeah. But, you know, of- New Orleans has all that tree, swampy, yeah. Spanish moss stuff all over the place. So it, oh. they did a really good job depicting 1700s. Yeah, you know, well, they would have to, I mean, but they would have to do it all on set, though, wouldn't they? Because, I mean, none of those buildings yeah. look the same as they did then or anything like that. But it looks really, really beautiful. The only one I would think of a JFK, you know, the movie JFK, because that was shot in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, New Orleans looks amazing. It, it's like, I think it's one of the cities. I love Louisiana. There. People knock it a lot, yeah. but I really love Louisiana. I always have. Got the best food ever. Oh my God! Ah. Yes, I t- that, I don't take pictures of my meals Dumbo. often, but I will when I go to Louisiana. They get these big boils, right? They are so good. I mean, me and Scott split one a year or so back. I mean, they come out. I'm not lying. It was that big. Wow! And I'm it was just full of crawfish, corn, all kinds yeah. of seafood. Yeah, it man. was like an eighty dollar plate, but it was still Dumbo. pretty damn good. <laughs> It was so good. I'm getting hungry just thinking yeah, about it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, let's stop talking about because we want to eat now. <laughs> Get the Uber. Where's the rat? <laughs> yeah, where's the rat? <laughs> I did it the Mardi Gras as well once, and that was fantastic as well. I mean, it's yeah, Bourbon Street and oh God, Street. Halloween is even better than I always tell everybody. Halloween is better for than Mardi Gras. And Mardi Gras for amateurs. You want to go to the freak show? You go to Halloween. <laughs> that is fun. Halloween is a riot. Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead's fantastic yeah. there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to see a good film about New Orleans, watch The Garden of Good and Evil. Oh it's boy, which one is that? The Garden of Good and Evil. It's a true I story. Heard of that. It's directed by Clint Eastwood. Well, then I have to watch it because he's one of my it's favorite. About, it's Kevin Spacey. It's about a murder that happens when he murders um, his boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, but I've heard of it. Dead. I think I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah, it's really good. He yeah, has some some of the people who were actually um who were involved in the case and stuff like that are actually in the movies. Actually, in the stuff. movie, yeah. Um, we watched K Pax recently with Kevin Spacey. Oh yeah, yeah. K Pax uh, guys, yeah, you know. I mean, he'll go. He hasn't been making a lot of movies lately. I haven't seen him around no, in a while. Banned, hasn't he? Because of um sexual allegations and when he's yeah, like. Keeping his head. By up. wannabe, by wannabe actors who wanted to make, who wanted to step up. Apparently, he was fiddling. <laughs> well, he was twelve. <laughs> he was playing with ET. I still like his acting now. What was that movie where he was in? Where he, the the girl? Um, oh God, what was uh, the name of it? It was about a woman. It was oh. a young girl. Poison Ivy. Was that one? Was no, that American it? Beauty? American Beauty, yes. Thank you. Shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long the embargo is going to be up on him for a while. But oh, they don't care. I mean, everybody gets to keep their Oscar. No one cares who's a pedo anymore. <laughs> no, it's not about, no, it's not. About, no, he's he's not allowed to work. That's the problem. It's not. It has Why? I didn't know that. Do they kick him out of the sexual allegations? I think we're going to have to wait a couple of years and he'll be back. Oh, God. They would have to fire all of Hollywood. Yeah. God. I think you can measure it by how long did it take for Mel Gibson to work again. So, yeah, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Now he's working now. He's got new movies coming out now. He's yeah, going back. That's to true. He's a weapon film. <laughs> what does he really? I don't know how old Danny Glover is supposed to be in this because in the eighties he was ready for retirement. So he was already saying he was too old for that shit. Ninety two. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, with Interview of the Empire, I mean, 
And Rice also wrote the screenplay, which right? I thought was interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, to be able to condense something that she loves and basically it's, she's very opinionated about because it's that's where baby. she wanted to do the gender bend. She said that she wanted Angelica Houston as Lestat, and she wow. wrote a version of the screenplay in which Cher could have played Louis. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I didn't even know that. That'd be, that'd be interesting. It made a lot of money, two hundred and twenty-four yeah. million worldwide. And wow. Oprah Winfrey walked out on the ten minutes into the premiere because of the gore. <laughs> the gore? I didn't think this was gory at all. Do you guys thought it was really gory? She said, "There, are, I believe there are forces of light and darkness in the world, and I don't want to be a contributor to the force of darkness. <laughs> and Kirsten Dust actually had her first kiss in this film, and she had repeatedly said she hated kissing Brad Pitt. because Boys probably had cooties when she was 10. But, you know, because she, she was 11 years old, and she said it was like a peck. But everyone at the time was like, you're so lucky you get to kiss Brad Pitt. And she said it was disgusting. And then she said she was a late bloomer. It just like, Dan, I would have been all over that part, but what do I know? It's so funny because I was watching a lot of Kristen Dunn's films that she made in the 90s. I was watching a lot of those this week. I watched Bring It On, which I love. Yeah. I yeah. watched um, Get Over It, which is another film I love. And I also watched Drop Dead Gorgeous, you know, the oh, yeah. one with, Padgett with Denise Richards. <laughs> and Marie Antoinette, which is great. And also, you know. Yeah. And I said, there's a. That, I um, love Marie Antoinette. Mm. I mean, she's she's done really well. I mean, even because a lot of people would like do a great movie role and then that, they kind of disappear. But she's yeah. kept her career going, sort of thing. She lives yeah, she's a great little actress. She really is. She and really also that um, Lars von Trier movie, Melancholia. It's mm. great, and that, you know, really cool. You know, and she did a Lars von Trier film as well, didn't she? Yeah, that's Antoinette. right. Um, was it Melancholia? Before. Yeah, that's melancholy. A, yeah, that's, that's a, right. Yeah, look at the movie and all that. So strange, strange movie. Yeah. Well, because Brad Pitt was so miserable, he definitely projected that into his role, didn't he? Yeah, Louis, Louis, like, Louis. Yeah. I've had to listen to that for two centuries. Yeah, so I had to listen to that <laughs> slaver for the last time. <laughs> you know. Now, what I mean, about some of the changes they made from the book to the film? Do you think? I think it made more sense to have him lose his wife and child. Wife and child, yeah. yeah, yeah but then yeah. you got to then you get the uh, then you get the homoeroticism going on. So what is that? Is that just an acquired taste as a vampire? You know, because obviously he loved his wife and child. So you know, I'm just trying to figure out how they were trying to translate that part in because there's really there's no sex going on, but that's very no. sexual movie when you think about it. There's nothing more sexual than a vampire. I mean, look at all the good looking guys they had in this movie. It's like, take me, you know? Bite me. Bite me, yes. I mean, Tom Cruise, I mean, you look at Tom Cruise, Antonio Menderes, and then yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah, and I have to there and say this is not the best they ever looked in a movie, though. I mean, they're all good looking guys. Don't get me wrong, but in this movie they weren't good looking. They come with no, that. but I mean, it was the 1700s <laughs> when you're seeing most of this. Because well, I think it's really... the long hair. I mean, it's a lo- it's a long it's the long hair, and, and Darius's hair, hair was way too long, way 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 too long. They need that shit should need to be shorter. But Brad Pitt really sports that you know that really good long haired look. Yeah, I'm like, what was it, the Troy? 
Well, this, this is one of Antonio Banderas' first um, English-speaking films. Well, he, he taught like, himself to speak English. That was what I find yeah, so fascinating about all him. his lines phonetically. So basically, he was been fed all his lines. He didn't know what he was saying. Right. He reminds wow. me of the guy in The Crow too. Uh, he looks just yeah. like the cocaine guy. <laughs> the was. cocaine guy? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, but I have to also sit there and say that. Because, I mean, Lestat and Brad Pitt are supposed to be like in their 20s, aren't they? Yeah. They're and supposed to be gonna... younger. Yeah, they're, they're youthful because back then you died younger, you know, so they were men yeah. of the world. Well, probably, like everyone in this movie looked like they were in their th- the 30s to mid 30s, even though but, they're. But not... is Armand <laughs> Lestat, see, this is where I got confused with the book. And Armand, well, see, the movies show something else. Armand is Lestat's maker in the book, but he's not yeah. in a movie. Yeah. Well, they didn't say who made Armand at all. They kind of just didn't. Four hundred. He's the oldest of them in Paris. Yeah. That's all it said. Yeah. Probably, so probably I get kind of confused with that. It's probably now, gets, that is older than all of them because that's one of the first vampires. Because we find about that because um, that's in the stats origin story is not in the stat the book. It's in right. Queen of the Hands, and that's back in Egyptian time and the the the. The Egyptian goddess is the one that's turning people into vampires. And that's what that whole story Well, about. she was killing everybody. She was a notorious bitch. And they did trans- transport that, you know, translate that into her film as well. With yeah. the- Leah, what's her last name? She died during the filming, too. Yeah, she was the underage. Um, she, wasn't she like 13 years old when um, R. Kelly was diddling her? I think so. I think that's yeah. if I, uh, so those, yeah. So all those songs that she's singing about, like that first album that everyone's going on and on about, basically she was 15. Yeah. Now, she was now, young now, though. God, so but she, you listen she, to the lyrics now and they feel kind of gross. Because I didn't know how old she was when she made that album. But now I mean, this shit, is, I didn't know she was that young either. Yeah. Wow. That's, that explains lots. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, she did. She she was an excellent vampire queen. I mean, God, she was just drop dead gorgeous for one. The costume was just beautiful. And then you talk about getting into the nasty parts of the underworld of vampires. It really shows it in that film. I, I haven't read the book in eons, so I didn't read all of the. I, I love the book. Queen of the Dam was one of my favorite books, actually. Which one? Queen of the Dam. Oh yeah. Alea be alive today if she if she'd pack less. That's true. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I mean, so I like some of the changes they made in the film. I thought they did a, you know, I think it, I think it makes the film flow a lot better. But yeah. But I do say but I, I actually can't fault the film at all because it's one of those films that you know, it kind of reminds me of a lot of films that came out in the 90s that you It's you typical know, 90s. It is. It's it's 90s mm-hmm. film working. It definitely but is. But you find yourself watching you go so many times but oh, you yeah. can't stop <laughs> watching once you see it and there's so many films in the 90s that came out like Sevens like that as well. And yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Dark Yeah. I didn't realize Boy, that seven was a brutal movie that with that the end of that movie just threw me. Did oh, not see that yeah. coming at all in that film. I didn't but, realize also the turned up the actual all the everyday sound of the city and you know the noise that turned it up in post production to just give it that, that overall like melancholy you know and yeah. It's yeah yeah you but, get that sometimes you know interviews vampires like that though he's like you like you'll, you'll be flipping through channels and it's on you find yourself just boom, you just can't yeah, stop watching yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'll watch it. Well, it was last night was Netflix. Netflix was showing it one more night and I got ah, hell with it. I'm going to watch it one more time. So no, I, and I really got into it last night. So yeah. yeah. You get into the mood of it. Yeah. You're right. So why don't we rate the movie? So out of five, what do you rate this, Craig? Uh, I'm going to give it five list stats out of five. <laughs> I preferred the movie to the book personally, mm. um, but I think it was more more faster paced. And um, I loved some of the action scenes in it. It was just really not lo- lovely. Even when he play, it, even when he plays off against the other vampire under the bridge. And and they're doing that little like oh that's brilliant the little dance so, yeah dance to say yeah that yeah. was really cool I'm a vampire and all, yeah. you are also you know yeah. yeah I was working in the lab late one night <laughs> <laughs> when my eyes beheld an eerie sight I think it's definitely a fire don't do that that'll be stuck in my head Saturday I know that's right the monster bash monster bash how many days to like Halloween. A- don't start us off. I love that bit. He says, "Whatever happened to my Transylvanian twist?" They don't make that anymore. That's right. And what about yourself, um, David? What are your thoughts? What's your? Oh yeah. Well, it is. I like the movie. Yeah, it's funny. The book was good. But the thing is, like, I think the movie's my favorite, you know, and uh, definitely five love bites out of five. <laughs> he did the mash. <laughs> Where are you, South Vix? I'd give it five Louis. That's all I heard. <laughs> Louis, Louis. Louis, Louis. <laughs> kind of reminded me of Willie <laughs> you know, from Dark <laughs> Yeah. But it's excellent. I mean, it's got its moments and it, it does. It is better <laughs> with the beginning showing that his wife and child, I could see him grieving more over his wife and child than his brother, because yeah, I don't yeah. think he wanted the responsibility, like you said, which I never thought of until you said that. But I think it's an excellent film. And I know a lot of people that don't like gore and horror movies that really love this film. So definitely mm. give it five. It's great. I can't find any fault with it, really. Mm. I'm going to give it a five because I do love the Vampire Chronicles, but I never yeah. want to read them again. And this, <laughs> I can actually go back and revisit this world. That's by like the, the stand. Movie. I don't want to read the stand ever again. Yeah, they still <laughs> need a decent okay. version of that yet. They haven't come out with one of those yet. But yeah, I think I know. I think Neil Jordan did a fantastic job. I I love the yes. the acting. Fantastic. It's it's engrossing. You're never bored. It keeps you. Mm. you know, yeah, it's funny. It's got a dark. Yeah. And the whole grand scale of it, it just looks beautiful as well. But it's, it but, is it's dark, not- beautiful, and gothic. I mean, what to, what's not to like? It's exactly. And also, at the end of it, I wanted steak and chips. <laughs> I wanted I wanted steak and chips for loads of bloody uh, ketchup. ketchup. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was so glad that Christian Slater got it in the end. Seriously, because he was such a pain. I want to live like yeah. you. I want to be like you, you yeah. idiot. And then and then he yeah. gets in an open top car. Yeah. 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 Bloody hell. Yeah. I have to sit and say, though, I don't, I can understand where Christmas Slater's coming from. I mean, you live for, if, you, if you're young, 
I mean, yeah, okay, you, you don't want to live be, forever. You don't want to be bitten in your 80s. No, exactly. I don't want to be bitten at this and... age. But if you back me up about 23 years, 24 years, I'll gladly do it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, bite me. Bite me now. <laughs> and I, don't, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird because when you're younger, you're thinking, okay, I have to kill people. And that's quite disgusting. Yeah. But, but if I had the same mentality I have today, 30 years mm. earlier... Mm. I'd be more than happy to kill a bunch of people back to about, but not 20, 30 years ago. I love oh, people. I, just, I know. <laughs> that maturity thing kind of levels you out a little. I'm far from mature, but I know what you're saying without saying it. I get it. I mean, I have enough people on my list that I'd be able to, you know, I'd be able to see the next century very Yeah. Easy for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got five. I got five thousand friends on Facebook. I can back. No shit. Then I can start Twitter and then Instagram. I'll just work all the way down. Let's get on Grinder for the night. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scroll them on. <laughs> Let's go. Oh. <laughs> Tinder. Tinder. Oh, I'm hungry. What's up? Let's, what's, what's on the menu? Let's go out Tinder and start swiping. Yay! Uh, yeah. Tinder, bite me, swipe me, bite me, swipe me, bite me, swipe me, bite me, swipe me. That's just like that George Hamilton when he flies into, he's drunk after eating off that drunk oh, guy, and yeah, the black yeah. people are eating her. Go, look, it's a black chicken. Oh, <laughs> and he's flying in the room. <laughs> I gotta watch that now. I do. I, really I gotta do. watch that. I'm dead and loving it. You know. <laughs> Another thing I say about Interview of the Vampire: I hate costume dramas. I really hate them. I can't stand them. And I do love Interview of the Vampire. Yeah, I hate. <laughs> fun. I hate all the Emily Bronte ones. I hate those BBC costume drama things. Oh, well, what about yeah, Pride yeah. and Prejudice and Zombies? Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Do I need to watch that? I keep coming up on it, and it just like, I haven't. I haven't clicked the button yet. So. It have to be in an English accent, like you know, oh, the children of the night. What wonderful music they make! Eat so bread. is it stupid? <laughs> well, of course it's stupid. Probably, but is it worth watching? Well, it's like Abraham, Abraham Lincoln, um, Vampire Hunter. Vampire Killer. Oh, that I like that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. I actually like that movie. I liked right. it. <laughs> it was a while there when vampires were really taken off. They're making a movie out of any. No, it's um, it's Pride and Ve- um, Prejudice and Vamp- um, Zombies, right? That's zombies. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That'll be interesting. You know, you know, Mr. Darcy, yeah. you're a complete bastard. But there is a <laughs> no, Pride and Prejudice <laughs> zombie movie out. <laughs> I just haven't watched it. Yeah. It's it's okay. I mean, it has its moments. I mean, it it was very when the whole zombie craze was coming out. That then um, someone took pride and prejudice and made a zombie book out of it, and then they made the movie out of it. <laughs> Nobody can beat Billy the Kid meets Dracula versus Dracula. <laughs> you want to waste an hour and a half of your day and yeah, we'll do yourself? that. Yeah. There you go, right there. What about that western called in Midget Town? Remember when they had the Midget Town? <laughs> oh, video. <laughs> I've got to new. I've got to do, redo my list now. <laughs> no white, Snow White of the Seven Fights, but uh, <laughs> wow! Sorry, I've gone off. Uh, I've gone off the track there for a second. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> bite me. Are you itching for a good story, laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real-play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt 
comedic banter and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. Well, this brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next month for our book to screen, we'll be doing Ringu, which is a book, which is a Japanese mystery horror novel, which was written by Koji Suzuki. Now, this is um, considered one of the best-selling novels and one of the best-written novels of all time, selling 1.5 million copies in two days' time when it came out. Wow. No way. Bloody hell. Um, and we'll be covering, of course, the, the Japanese film Ringu, which was actually remade into American film The Ring, but we'll be covering the Japanese oh, film. Oh, the Japanese one. I didn't read oh, the book, but I did watch yeah. that. Oh, my God. It's scarier. Their version is a ton more scarier than our version. And that first one just disturbed the fuck out of me. So this is going to be a good conversation. Now, next week, we'll be doing our make remake. We'll be covering The Fly from 1958, starring Vincent Price, and The Fly, mm-hmm. the David Cronenberg film from 1988. Help me. The 80s, we'll be continuing <laughs> our, our, our horror is art. <laughs> We'll be covering The Hunger from 1983, um, directed by Tony Scott, starring Susan Sarandon, Catherine Deneuve, and David Bowie, Ooh. and Liquid Sky, which is um, starring and directing Anne, Anna Crystal, who will be playing two parts, male and female, which came out in 1984. Wow. And of course, we'll be covering Dark Shadows, and this is also we'll be covering Soap, we'll be covering up Soap as we almost come to its close. So it's good night for myself, and good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. Happy spring. Good night, Craig. Good night, everybody. And um, if you want to check out my Etsy page, then just search Craig's World. And also, I've got lots of um, Star Wars and Alien merchandise on craigsworld.org. Have a good uh, spring (laughs) and happy Easter if I don't see everybody. Um, oh, yeah. Happy Easter. Oh, yeah. Happy uh, happy bunnies, no, wait, everyone. That's two weeks from now. I'll tell you happy Easter next yeah. week, too. Um, yeah. And uh, can I just say, Keith and Vicky look very hot tonight. And uh, happy bunnies. Happy bunnies. <laughs> 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 or as Batman used to say, Keith, public safety, chum. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Make Remake, which is The Fly from 1958 and The Fly from 1988. And good night for myself. And we'll see you next week on the Good night, y'all. Please allow me to introduce myself.